We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing today's program. Sam Moppin is engineering. Today we'll hear a conversation with Rebecca Friedlander. She's the author of Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. And if you look hard enough, you can find it. Uh, that's coming up in the second hour of today's program. First, we'll take a look through some of the day's news. Well, Republican Senators Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney announced uh, Monday night that they will vote to confirm Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, her historic elevation to the Supreme Court, giving President Biden's nominee a burst of bipartisan support and all but assuring she will become the first black female justice. The senators from Alaska and Utah announced their decisions ahead of a procedural vote to advance the nomination and as Democrats press to confirm Jackson by the end of this week. GOP Senator Susan Collins of Maine announced last week that she would back Jackson, noting that her stellar qualifications as a federal judge, public defender and member of the U.S. Sentencing Commission. All three Republicans say they didn't expect to agree with all of Jackson's decisions, but they found her extremely well qualified. Romney said Jackson more than meets the standard of excellence and integrity. Murkowski said she will bring to the Supreme Court a range of experience from the courtroom that few can match given her background in litigation. With three Republicans supporting her in the 50-50 split Senate, Jackson is on a glide path to confirmation and on the brink of making history as the first black female justice and only the sixth woman in the court's more than 200 year history beyond the historic element. Democrats have cited her deep experience in nine years of federal on the federal bench and the chances for her to become the first former public defender on the court. Well, both Collins and Murkowski said they believe that the Senate nomination process has become broken as it has become more partisan in the past several decades. And that certainly is the truth. Speaking of Supreme Court justices, Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett was interrupted by a heckler during remarks at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library on Monday. As a mother of seven, I am used to distraction and sometimes even outbursts, she said, receiving laughs and applause from the audience. While the heckler was heard yelling and calling Barrett an enslaver of women regarding her nomination process, she represented, uh, responded rather by likening the protester to a child. The interview spanned various topic matters, including her own nomination during the Trump administration, her personal life and expected court decisions regarding abortion rights and gun control. In turn, Barrett urged the American public to read the opinion prior to making judgments on court rulings. Does the decision read like something that was purely result driven and designed to impose the policy preferences of the majority? Or does this read like it actually is an honest effort and persuasive effort, even if one Uh, you ultimately don't agree with to determine what the Constitution and precedent requires, she asked. Well, when asked if she had any advice for a new justice, Barrett regarded uh, the shift of um, entering public life. I think one of the difficult things that I experienced that I wasn't really fully prepared for was the shift into being a public figure. 
The justices' remarks came the same day that Republican Senators Murkowski and Romney voted in favor of upholding Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation to the Supreme Court. Well, President Joe Biden said it feels like the good old days as he welcomed former President Barack Obama back to the White House to push the Affordable Care Act and to celebrate its anniversary. It was with the White House and Democrats. They need a major boost before the midterms. And it was also that Well, the former president returned to the White House Tuesday as President Joe Biden announced fixes to the family glitch and the Affordable Care Act. Welcome back to the White House, man. It feels like the good old days, the president said. President Obama, he opened by calling Biden vice president and joked that uh, that, uh, Joe Um, has forced all of his Secret Service agents to wear aviators. He also mocked Joe's love of ice cream by saying the White House mess has been replaced by a Baskin and Robbins. His appearance came as Biden and the vice president, Kamala Harris, continued to flounder in approval polls ahead of the 2022 midterm elections. The president, the former president, has um, not been back to the White House since January of 2017 when he welcomed President-elect Donald Trump to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He and uh, the current president had lunch ahead of the health care event. The event was something of a love fest to the Obama years, with both men joking about their time together under Obama's tenure. They hugged, they quipped and laughed as the Democrats uh, in the East Room crowded the uh, uh, to the gills, cheered and applauded. Well, former President Obama started his speech by joking about the vice president, referring, of course, to the president. He again clarified this was all set up, Mr. President Joe Biden. He also mocked Joe's love of ice cream, as I mentioned. Um, But he also praised and defended his significant health care law, which Republicans have repeatedly tried to repeal. Most of all, uh, former President Obama said, coming back here gives me a chance to say thank you and spend some time with an extraordinary friend and partner who was by my side for eight years. Uh, On a more serious note, he recalled how hard it was to get the Affordable Care Act passed, criticized the media for disinformation and said families are still paying too much for health care. We didn't get everything we wanted. That wasn't a reason not to do it. If you can get millions of people health coverage and better protection, it is, uh, to quote a famous American, a pretty big deal. Of course, he was quoting the former vice president who added an expletive in the middle of that. He also admitted it didn't help that the website didn't work when the legislation finally made it through Congress in 2010. Let's face it, it didn't help that when we we first rolled out the ACA, the website didn't work. That was not one of my happiest moments. Well, President Biden, too, joked about his infamous comment from the original bill signing, reminding um, former President Obama that the mic is hot. Obama returned to the White House for the first time in several years. Uh, It's good to be back, he said. Speaking of the White House, it's been a while. The peg for the White House reunion was the 12th anniversary of the launch of the Affordable Care Act. But President Obama is reappearing on the Democratic stage as Biden's approval ratings sit in in the low 40s. Um, Democrats worry that will uh, hurt them at the ballot box in November when they try to retain control of Congress. And November will be here before you know it. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few moments. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 
Well, for the first time in U.S. history, the transgender flag was flown outside a federal building on the 31st of last month, the Transgender Day of Visibility. I didn't know there was such a flag, and I didn't know about the day. Well, the white, pink, and blue striped transgender flag was flown just below the U.S. flag on a flagpole in front of the Department of Health and Human Services building in Washington, D.C., In a tweet, the HHS Secretary Xavier Bacara said, On this International Trans Day of Visibility, I say to our transgender communities, we see you, we stand with you, and we will be there for you. For the first time in history, the flag is flying in front of a federal agency. It was the Hubert Humphrey Building. Well, in a proclamation for the day, President Joe Biden said transgenders are made in the image of God and deserving of dignity, respect and support. On this day and every day, we recognize the resilience, strength and joy of transgender, non-binary and gender non-conforming people. Visibility matters, they went on to say. Well, in February of last year, the president nominated Rachel Levine, a transgender woman who's a biological male, to be the assistant secretary of health and human services. Levine was uh, confirmed by the Senate to that position in March of last year. Only two Republicans joined with Democrats to confirm uh, Levine, who's since been celebrated as uh, as something of a the first woman in that position, although a uh, biological male. A California city is planning to give universal basic income to transgender and non-binary residents regarding uh, regardless rather of their earnings level. I'm not sure what the. Uh, Pretext is here, but transgender residents in Palm Springs, California, are eligible to receive a UBI of up to $900 per month solely for identifying as transgender or non-binary, no strings attached. My guess is there are going to be a lot of people who are um, identifying themselves rather differently for that $900 per month with no strings attached. The new pilot program will have uh, $200,000 set aside for allocation after a unanimous vote by the Palm Springs City Council last week. Former San Diego Councilman Carl DeMeo, a Republican who served as the first openly gay member of the City Council, called the program outrageous and discriminatory. We're completely opposed to guaranteed or universal basic income programs because they ultimately cause inflation and raise the cost of living on everybody. They won't work, he said in a statement. But at least some of them have minimum income requirements to qualify, whereas this one is no strings attached, woke, virtue signaling to the LGBT community in a way that is not only offensive but discriminatory. Well, 20 transgender and non-binary Palm Spring residents will receive the free money funded by the taxpayers for 18 months with advocacy-based health center, DAP, uh, health and LGBT advocacy group Queer Works managing the program. A six-month period will be the precursor of the program's implementation in which the group uh, uh, mayors for a guaranteed income will be involved providing guidance. Now, this is... uh, Puzzling to me. What what precisely are the grounds? And again, it it, it doesn't re, um, require you to have a financial need. You just have to self-identify as being in one of two categories and you'll receive nine hundred dollars a month for a period of months from your um, neighbors. Peculiar and. Um, well, it's just weird. Austin Gates uh, got into a fiery exchange in a House hearing. This is the defense secretary, Lloyd Austin. He pushed back on questions from Representative Matt Gates, a Republican from Florida, during a hearing on the Pentagon's budget request on Tuesday. Representative Gates and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin had a heated exchange. Uh, This was during a House Armed Services Committee hearing. 
Uh, Gates accused the U.S. military of embracing leftist ideas while committing strategic blunders. Uh, Gates started off by referencing a lecture at the National Defense University from Thomas Piketty responding to China, the case for global justice and democratic socialism. Well, the congressman asked the general if he uh, supported socialism as a strategy against China. The secretary said he was not familiar with the lecture, but did not agree with embracing socialism. Well, the representative said that if Austin did not agree with that position, why would someone be brought in to discuss socialism instead of having people learn about strategy, about how to combat our enemies? Well, Austin asserted that strategy is discussed at the National Defense University, but Gates charged that lately the military has made significant errors. He said, and I'm quoting, you guys have been blowing a lot of calls lately, no matter the strategy, Mr. Secretary. You guys told us that Russia couldn't lose. You told us the Taliban couldn't immediately win. And so I guess I'm wondering what in the $773 billion that we're requesting today is going to help you make assessment that assessments rather that are accurate in the face of so many blown calls. Well, addressing the uh, member of Congress question, the general noted that the Congressman has seen how the Department of Defense's budget and how it uh, matches the strategy and that this can speak for itself, saying that it um, uh, it doesn't require explanation. But the representatives then accused the U.S. military of falling behind, citing a failure to deter Russia from invading Ukraine and losing ground to China when it comes to hypersonic weapons. What do you mean we're behind in hypersonics? The general challenged, how do you make that assessment? Well, Gates said that he based the assessment on China fielding hypersonic weapons systems while we were still developing them and were surprised by them, as well as Russia's claim that they used one in their invasion of Ukraine. By the way, your own people briefed us that we are behind and that China is winning. Are you aware of the briefings we get on hypersonics? Well, the general replied that he is certainly aware of the briefings only for Gates to then add that China is increasingly active in flying sorties near Taiwan and that North Korea being on pace to shatter prior records when it comes to the number of missiles tests they conduct. And so while everyone else in the world seems to be developing capabilities and being more strategic, we got time to embrace critical race theory at West Point, to embrace socialism at the National Defense University, to do mandatory pronoun training, Gates said. Before Austin could cut him off and cut him off, he did. This is the most capable, the most combat critical force in the world, the secretary said. It has been and it will be so going forward. And this budget helps us do that. The fact that you're embarrassed by your country, by your military, I'm sorry for that. Well, Gates then accused Austin, the the, uh, general, of conflating his own failures with those of service members. You guys said that Russia would overrun Ukraine in 36 days. You said that the Taliban would be kept at bay for months, Gates said. You totally blew those calls, and maybe we would be better at them uh, if the National Defense Universities actually worked on a little more on strategy and a little less on wokeism. Well, the general responded by pointing to how the fact that Russia has not defeated Ukraine yet is a positive development. Has it occurred to you that Russia has not overrun Ukraine because of what we've done and our allies have done? Have you ever uh, even thought about that, suggesting that uh, Ukraine, rather than defending itself, that that ability to defend is really uh, because of what the U.S. and our allies have been able to do up to this point? The conversation essentially ended there. Well, the United States announced that uh, they completed their second successful test flight of a hypersonic missile 
touting the potential for the next generation capability for the military. Now, I read this and I guess it's a good thing that we're uh, keeping up with our uh, our enemies in Russia and in China. But I'm reminded that a day is coming when we will study war no more. This conversation will no longer be necessary because there will be no more conflict now, that's a day that comes at some point in the future, Jesus promised in his word. But it's exhausting to follow who has what, how it's going to be used, preparing for future military conflict and knowing that wars and rumors of wars are in our future. But I am grateful that as we are alert and preparing and prepared for the return of Christ, we know that history will not continue on this course forever. Anyway, the test conducted by the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, And the U.S. Air Force uh, was the first test of the Lockheed Martin version of the hypersonic air breathing weapon concept, commonly known as HAWC, Hawk. Uh, An earlier test configured by a different company took place in September. This Lockheed Martin Hawk flight test successfully demonstrated a second design that will allow our warfighters to competitively select the right capabilities to dominate the battlefield, the Hawk program manager said in a statement, these achievements increase the level of technological maturity for transitioning Hawk to a service program of record. Well, during the test, the missile reached a cruise speed of greater than Mach 5 for what DARPA said was an extended period of time, hit altitudes of about 65,000 feet, flew more than 300 nautical miles. DARPA didn't specify exactly when the test took place, only saying that it was recent. According to a CNN report, it happened in mid-March, days after Russia announced that they would had used a cyber, uh, rather a hypersonic missile in their war against Ukraine, and before President Biden traveled to Europe to meet with officials from NATO. Just imagine, no more war. It's coming. Governor Jared Polis signed a bill creating a fundamental right to abortion. We'll tell you more about that when we return in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Also a reminder, Rebecca Friedlander will join us in the second hour, Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Governor Jared Paulus signed a bill creating a fundamental right to abortion, contraception and other forms of reproductive health care rights while explicitly denying any rights to the unborn. And in a Nazi Soviet pact 2.0, the Sino-Russia pact signals that we are at a major negative inflection, an inflection point in international relations that is a long time coming. In fact, um, well, can I find the article? Because I wanted to share that. with. Well, I'll come back to it in a little bit. Anyway, very interesting to make the comparison. Uh, Kansas defeated North Carolina on Monday night to win the men's uh, college basketball national championship in an epic thriller, 72 to 69. Vice President Kamala Harris, Deputy Chief of Staff Michael Fuchs is leaving the Biden administration. He's apparently the 11th. Keeping it low key, Biden's Chief of Staff Ron Klain asked Hunter Biden in September of 2012, for help in raising $20,000 for the vice president's residence foundation. By the way, that investigation is heating up. There could be 
indictments against the younger Biden at some point in the not too distant future. Well, keeping it low key, Biden's chief of staff um, made that uh, claim. Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin issued a grim warning to Democrats on their mid uh, midterm prospects before calling on Biden to save the party and scrutinizing Hunter Biden's living arrangements. GOP lawmakers blasted the young Biden's Secret Service detail after it was revealed the detail was paying thirty thousand dollars a month in rent. Liberal media outlets took to the airwaves to criticize Florida's parental rights law, slamming conservatives and Governor Ron DeSantis. And MSNBC's Joy Reid compared uh, Senate Republicans to past segregationist Dixiecrats uh, for their opposition to nominee Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. Well, Representative Fred Upton announced on the House floor Tuesday that he will retire from Congress after three decades spent representing his Michigan district. At 68 years old, Upton has served in the House for over 30 years, was one of only 10 House uh, Republicans, rather, who voted to impeach President Trump in his second impeachment. Upton urged the country to accept the results of the 2020 election and move forward, splitting with the Trump camp. The Michigan congressman voted to impeach Trump at the end of his uh, term for incitement of insurrection over his role in the January 6th riot. Given the uh, way the political landscape has evolved since then, with the GOP gearing up for a midterm sweep, Sweep in 2022, Upton was due to face an arduous primary contest against a suite of more populist challengers. Representative Debbie Dingell celebrated Upton's service on the House floor after his announcement, saying his retiring is a loss for this country and especially the people of Michigan. Meet the Press host Chuck Todd holds firm on his belief that former President Trump won't run in 2024 because it's work. And Fox News analyst Britt Hume says it's pretty obvious Hunter Biden used whatever influence peddling he could with his father's name. CNN's left-wing media correspondent Brian Stetler appeared nervous about Elon Musk becoming Twitter's largest shareholder. We'll see how that develops. Jason Rance um, points out that Seattle's crime surge spreads statewide thanks to progressive policies. And Tucker Carlson, he suggests that Elon Musk's 10 percent stake in Twitter matters. The social media platform sets the tone for all news coverage and for all information. Dan Gaynor reminds that the press became the the Praetorian Guard for the future president, protecting him at every turn. They termed the Hunter Biden report Russian disinformation. Rebecca Grant says Ukrainian uh, Ukraine stopped Russia from encircling Kiev with both sides regrouping. Zelensky, Biden and Putin all face very big consequential choices. Stepping up for help, Elena Sedovska. 18 climbed her way to $12,500 in support of Ukraine after she walked a stair climber for 24 hours at her local gym, doing what she could. In an inadvertent effort legitimizing Iran, the Biden administration attempt to thrash out a new Iran nuclear deal threatens to provide legitimacy to Iran's nuclear activity, only postponing it for a very short time. Evidence mounts for Putin's war crimes. President Zelensky says the peaceful people are being tortured and shot dead. From the story on AP, Moscow faced global revulsion and accusations of war crimes Monday after the Russian pullout from the outskirts of Kiev revealed streets strewn with corpses of what appeared to be civilians, some of whom had seemingly been killed at close range. The grisly images of battered bodies left out in the open or hastily buried led to calls for tougher sanctions against the Kremlin, namely a cutoff of fuel imports from Russia. From CBS News, they report independent journalists who went into the town of Bucha 
just northwest of the Capitol over the weekend, found the streets littered with bodies. The dead were wearing civilian clothing and some had their hands tied behind their backs, apparently executed. Others were buried in mass graves. More than 300 residents were killed, according to the town's mayor. Zoya Sheflovich says in Buka, Zelensky says Ukrainian forces retaking the city found hundreds of dead people, peaceful people, tortured and shot dead. Bodies on the streets, mined uh, land as well. Even the bodies of those who were killed were mined everywhere. The consequence of looting that was reported on Twitter. President Biden calls for President Putin to be placed on trial for war crimes. The president on Monday called for evidence to be gathered to put the Russian leader on trial to for war crimes related to his nation's invasion of Ukraine. This guy is brutal, the president said, and what's happening in Bucha is outrageous and everyone's seen it. He told reporters a day after video and still images were revealed, revealing the town's streets littered with those bodies. The latest Kamala Harris staffer has resigned, 11 and counting. The vice president's deputy chief of staff, Michael Fuchs, is uh, set to leave the administration in May, the 11th staffer to leave in as many months. Fuchs has advised Harris on domestic and international issues, helped manage staff and accompanied her on foreign trips. He worked as a foreign policy advisor for President Bill Clinton and in the State Department under the president, Barack Obama. The New York Post questions have been raised as uh, many of last year's departures from the vice president's office coincide with growing criticism over her reported treatment of staff. The White House has insisted the departures are in keeping with the usual levels of Washington churn. Now, in fairness, uh, oftentimes the staff surrounding a particular candidate, in this case, the vice president, are individuals who may have worked on the campaign. They've worked through the campaign and um, into the, the office. Some may be returning to the campaign of other candidates, others perhaps just as disgruntled as we have been led to believe. Elon Musk became Twitter's largest shareholder, owning 9.2 percent of uh, of its shares. The Tesla CEO opened a, front, a new front in his criticism of the Silicon Valley tech giants on Monday morning when he disclosed his uh, acquisition on Twitter in mid-March, meaning Musk is now the company's biggest shareholder and he may not stop there. Hunter Biden's life, uh, laptop story exposes an elite media, as was referred to earlier, a Praetorian guard. From the story in Fox News, a surge of recent reporting on the uh, younger Biden by outlets that once widely dismissed and downplayed reports about him in 2020 marks the latest chapter in the debate over mainstream media credibility. A year and a half later, the laptop's contents are part of a of reporting on what the Washington Post called the ways in which his family profited from relationships built over Joe Biden's decades of public service and how what the New York Times says his professional life has intersected with his father's public service. The Washington Post editorial board wrote a piece stating the story is a chance for a media reckoning. For now, what's more compelling than the asserted accusation about the Biden's behavior in this question? Why is confirmation of a story that first surfaced in the fall of 2020 emerging only now? And President Biden is being called out for gas prices by an oil executive. Fox and Friends weekend co-host Will Kane set out to explore the crux of America's energy uh, industry by getting the inside scoop from Discovery Operating, an independently owned oil company supplying energy to U.S. from over 300 wells across Texas. We were energy independent under the previous administration, and we can be again. Eberhardt uh, announced our answer. The American oil field is definitely capable of more, and it frustrates me greatly, giantly, in fact, when I hear Biden calling OPEC Venezuela saying we want more oil.
You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next hour, we'll hear a conversation with Rebecca Friedlander, Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. That's coming up. We'll also talk about the president's new world order. What does that mean? Does it differ from George Bush's suggestion, the elder George Bush, the late uh, president, uh, when he used the phrase some years back? Well, the U.S. sees the super yacht of a Russian billionaire close to Vladimir Putin. It's the 16th seizure of a Russian oligarch linked yacht, but the first including U.S. involvement. From the story, U.S. authorities seized the, seized rather, the 255-foot luxury yacht in Spain. It was owned by Russian billionaire Victor, I won't attempt the last name, on Monday under a new sanctions drive to punish the financial elite close to Russian President Vladimir Putin by seizing assets such as ships, luxury real estate, and private aircraft. CNN reports that the U.S. Justice Department said the $90 million superyacht dubbed Tango was seized based on alleged violations of U.S. bank fraud, money laundering, and sanctions statutes. Its seizure happened on Spain's uh, Mallorca Island in the Mediterranean, according to the court documents. A U.S. judge who allowed the seizure uh, issued a scathing eight-page order in which he cited Putin's murder of civilians and destruction of Ukraine cities. Well, in a dark day in Colorado, as the governor signed a new law codifying the killing of preborn as a fundamental right, on Monday, Colorado's Democrat Governor Jared Polis signed House Bill 22-1279, euphemistically dubbed the Reproductive Health Equity Act, enshrining abortion as a fundamental right. Uh, Polis, uh, the governor, declared that the pro-abortion law codifies a person's fundamental right to make reproductive health care decisions free from government interference. Fearing that the U.S. Supreme Court may overturn Roe v. Wade, Colorado's Democrat-controlled legislature acted to ensure that the state would keep abortion legal. The law explicitly dehumanizes the preborn, stating that a fertilized egg, embryo, or fetus does not have independent or derivative rights under the laws of this state. In other words, in Colorado, preborn humans are officially not recognized as human at all and therefore have no legal standing. Polis himself promoted the abortion lobby, unscientific dehumanization of the preborn, so as to wash his and the government's hands of any obligation to protect the most innocent. The series um, discussion uh, to start or end the pregnancy with medical assistance will remain between the person, their doctor, and their faith. Not only does the law remove any government protection for the preborn, it in fact bars any public entity from restricting abortion for almost any reason. This will go down as one of the worst days in Colorado history, lamented Jeff Hunt, who is the president of the Colorado Colorado think tank Centennial Institute. Pro-abortionists at the Colorado Capitol seal the fate of countless lives. Well, a Black Lives Matter leader bought a $6 million home with donations. More news has come out regarding Black Lives Matter founders, suspect spending habits, and once again, it's on a multi-million dollar home funded by The Cause that generated millions of uh, in donations. Well, this latest disclosure is a 6,500-square-foot, seven-bedroom house in Southern California that was purchased for $6 million with donation uh, donated funds from former BLM co-founder Patrice Cullors via her financial manager, uh, Diane 
Pascal. In fact, it was at this lavish house that BLM's three co-founders gathered to film a remembrance video on the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's death. It added to the previously reported $3.2 million in donations, colors used to purchase four other homes, which led to her resignation from the activist group. It comes as little surprise that BLM has spun this latest revelation as the nonprofit simply purchased purchasing a property it will be using for the furtherance of BLM's mission. Quite distinct from the movement, this is the official organization. Another hate crime hoax has been exposed. Last year, the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office was alerted to a hate crime following the discovery of a message that had been penciled on a hallway between Rosemont High School reading all N-word should die. Uh, When the message was first discovered, Sacramento Unified School District Superintendent released a statement alerting the community to the hate crime, taking it very seriously. He also assumed prior to any investigation, as a community, we need to loudly condemn this hateful act. Racist incidents will not be tolerated in our schools. Again, the right thing to do and say. Well, the trouble is, if he had only waited and maybe just taken the time to look at the school's surveillance footage, which was available, he would have discovered, as the police did, that those responsible for the hateful message were two black female students. It turns out that this incident is merely one of several similar incidents in Sacramento schools. And in almost every case, it's been discovered that they were hoaxes perpetrated by minority students. So while Aguilar has repeatedly lamented a problem of racism within the district schools, the actual problem has been one of hate crimes, hoaxes, and Aguilar seems to repeatedly fall for them. Well, I'm grateful that there isn't the problem that was identified, but troubled by these youth who felt it was in their best interest to perpetrate a hoax. Well, after more than two decades, scientists say they finally mapped out the entire human genome paving the way for deeper insights into evolution, cancer, birth defects, and so on. Evolution slash creation. The results, years in the making, were published Thursday in the journal Science. Previous efforts fell short because DNA sequencing technology couldn't read certain parts of the genome. Fearfully and wonderfully made. For years, around 8% of the genetic sequence remained unfulfilled. While scientists said the full picture of the genome will give humanity a greater understanding of human biology while opening the door to new medical discoveries. It's all a wonderful thing, but will it point to the designer, the creator of such magnificence? Though the human genome comprises billions of DNA subunits known by the letters A, C, G, and T, genes are strings of these lettered pairs that contain instructions for making proteins. Humans have about 30,000 genes organized in 23 groups called chromosomes found in the nucleus of the cells. Well, Reading genes requires cutting the strands of DNA into pieces, hundreds to thousands of letters long. Sequencing machines read the letters in each piece, and scientists try to put the pieces in the right order, an especially difficult task in areas where letters repeat. Scientists said some areas were illegible before the improvements in gene sequencing machines that now allow them to, for example, accurately read a million letters of DNA at a time. Well, that allows scientists to see genes with repeated areas of um, as longer strings instead of snippets that they had um, to later piece together. It took 20 plus years, but we finally got it done, said a University of Washington researcher who participated in the project. This is the beginning of something really fantastic for the field of human genetics. 
it is a tremendous accomplishment. But if it doesn't lead to knowledge of the one who put that genome together, the one who sequenced um, that DNA, then I suppose it will all come to naught in the long run. Well, President Joe Biden loves to blame our sky high inflation on corporate greed and Vladimir Putin. But a new study from the San Francisco Fed shows it was, well, the president himself who put America on this trajectory. Specifically, it was the massive one point nine trillion dollar stimulus dumped into the American economy in early 2021 by the American Rescue Plan. Well, as a the nearby chart um, uh, that the organization uh, reviewed uh, demonstrated that the nation began heading into the inflationary stratosphere in early 2021, while other advances, advanced economies, the other countries of the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, haven't seen anything like the soaring prices now punishing workers across America, which means that the spike is due to something U.S. specific rather than global prevailing conditions. That policy was, of course, the signature economic achievement. Well, the damage it did has been massive. Median OECD inflation went from 1% to 2.5% during last year, uh, from under 2% to 7%. um, That's excluding, 5% excluding food and energy. And it kept on rising after that to the nearly 8% we see now. The details are uglier still. Per the latest data, fuel oil is up almost 44%. Gasoline, 38 percent. Meat and eggs, 13 percent. Well, put in concrete terms, a recent Bloomberg calculation translates this to an added $433 a month in household expenses in 2022. And historic producer price inflation is a shocking 10 percent, guarantees even more pain ahead. A conservative commentator has been fired for a Kamala Harris UPS joke. A conservative um, was recently fired from her radio gig after a joke she made on social media about the vice president's outfit, and it was declared racist. Amber Athey, who writes for The Spectator, or I should say wrote for The Spectator and also used to co-host a radio program on WMAL, a cumulus media-owned Washington, D.C.-based station, found herself suddenly fired with no opportunity for recourse over a misrepresented joke. Back during Joe Biden's State of the Union address, Athey, along with many other social media users, posted reactions to Kamala Harris's brown outfit. Athey wrote, Kamala looks like a UPS employee. What can brown do for you? Again, you recall the uh, campaign that emphasized brown. Nothing good, apparently, being a conservative whom radical leftists have long sought to cancel. Athey's benign comment was twisted into something it wasn't. A Cumulus executive told me that the tweet I sent about Kamala was racist and that subsequent follow-ups defending myself and making fun of the efforts to cancel me were unacceptable. I had violated the company's social media policy, they said, and I was terminated effective immediately. And the rest is history. She was, in fact, fired from her position. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour. And when we return... We'll hear from our guest, Rebecca Friedlander, finding beautiful, discovering authentic beauty around the world. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later this hour, we'll hear from Rebecca Friedlander, author of Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. We'll also look at uh, the president's comments made uh, some weeks ago about a new world order. He was speaking about the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. We'll find out what he meant by that and uh, whether or not we are confronting a new world order. Well, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson's nomination moves to the full Senate as three Republicans lend their support. A vote is expected before the end or at least by the end of the week. The Secret Service is renting a $30,000 Malibu pad to protect Hunter Biden. I'm not sure how common that is, given the Secret Service protects the families of elected presidents. The so-called big guy has reemerged in the Hunter Biden grand jury uh, witness um, uh, witness in that um, hearing was asked to identify the infamous big guy mentioned in discussions regarding a Chinese business deal involving the president's son, according to a new report. The question came up about this person who was not identified, was shown a piece of evidence before the grand jury located in Wilmington, Delaware. According to a source in the New York Post, the answer that was given was not reported, though some have claimed the big guy is President Joe Biden, raising the prospect that the commander in chief could be drawn into a federal criminal investigation, perhaps not criminally charged, but called to bear witness. So far, the White House has been adamant in asserting that the president is not involved and that Hunter Biden did not commit any crimes. The grand jury is continuing its work. The U.S. plans to ask the U.N. to suspend Russia from the U.N. Human Rights Council. And President Biden loves to blame our sky high inflation on corporate greed and Vladimir Putin. But as mentioned in the previous hour, a new study from the San Francisco Fed shows it was uh, his own policy that put America on this grim trajectory. Specifically, it was the massive one point nine trillion dollar stimulus plan. Said the D.C. mayor on the effort to defund the police. On second thought, we should probably refund the police. And Hungary's pro-Putin prime minister won a fourth term by an unexpectedly large margin. French election opens uh, has opened up as uh, Marine Le Pen surges and the president's radical title six plans would kill women's sports. We're continuing to follow that story as a former athlete. On this day in history, in 1955, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill resigns from his office for health reasons. 1955, Democrat Richard J. Daley becomes the first elected mayor of Chicago, defeating Republican Robert E. Merriam. 1964, Army General Douglas MacArthur dies in Washington, D.C. at the age of 84. 1975, Nationalist Chinese leader Chiang Kai-shek dies in uh, Taipei at the age of 87. 1986, two American servicemen and a Turkish woman are killed in the bombing of a West Berlin discotheque, an incident that would lead to a U.S. air raid of Libya more than a week later. 1988, a 15-day hijacking ordeal begins as gunmen force a Kuwait Airways jumbo jet to land in Iran. 2008, legendary actor Charlton Heston, who was later president of the National Rifle Association, dies in Beverly Hills at the age of 84. 2009, the Pentagon quietly lifts an 18-year ban on media coverage of fallen U.S. service members. 2018, in his first public comment about Stormy Daniels, President Trump says he didn't know about the $130,000 payment his former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, made to the actress, well... Of sorts, who alleged she had an affair with the former president. 2018, in a dramatic escalation of the trade dispute with China, President Trump tells the U.S. Trade Representative to consider slapping an additional 
$100 billion in tariffs on Chinese goods. You'll recall just a day or so ago, it was $50 billion. He was upping the ante. Special counsel John Durham is filing late Monday, uh, released what may prove to be a crucial piece of evidence in the case against former Clinton lawyer Michael Sussman, a text message he sent to the former FBI general counsel the eve of their September 2016 meeting, stating the same story in writing that the information he would share would not be uh, would be not on behalf of a client or a company. That was false. We now know in a filing late Monday, Durham motioned to admit evidence for the Sussman trial, including a text message that he sent to then FBI general counsel, James Baker. Uh, Durham contends that Sussman was, in fact, working for Democratic National Committee and the Clinton campaign at the time of the meeting. Durham's original indictment alleges that Sussman told then FBI general counsel James Baker in September of 2016, less than two months before the presidential election in 2016, that he was not doing work for any client when he requested and held a meeting in which he presented purported data and white papers that allegedly demonstrated a covert communications channel between the Trump organization and Alpha Bank, which has ties to the Kremlin. The incident alleges that Sussman lied in the meeting, falsely stating to the general counsel that he was not providing the allegations to the FBI on behalf of any client. And as you might recall, both the DNC and the Hillary Clinton 2016 presidential uh, election campaign have been charged for their role um, in all of that. Well, Trump's Truth Social is uh, having financial trouble, technical woes, and they're mounting. Well, here's the truth. Former President Donald Trump doesn't want most people to hear. His social network is falling apart. The app, a Twitter lookalike, uh, where posts are called Truths, has seen its downloads plunge so low that it's fallen off the App Store charts. The company is losing investors, executives, and attention. And though his adult son just joined, Trump himself hasn't posted there in weeks. Uh, Devin Nunez, the former member of Congress from California who gave up the seat that he held for 19 years to run the company, and said the app would be fully operational by the end of March, but it has been hamstrung by technical issues, including a waiting list that has blocked hundreds of thousands of potential users during its crucial first week online. Well, President Trump has uh, privately fumed about the app's slow rollout and has mused about joining other platforms such as Gitter, um, one of the uh, its best competitors, according to people familiar with the matter who spoke on condition of anonymity because of the sensitivity of the subject. Well, spurred by the former president's frustration, Nunez has worked to install his own people, a top troubled company, uh, leading to the resignation of its chiefs of technology, product development and legal affairs, according to, again, those familiar with the story. The departure uh, departures were first reported by Reuters and Politico. So it's not looking too good for the president's platform, at least at this point. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll hear from Rebecca Friedlander, author of Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest writes in the introduction to her book, What Would It Look Like to Pack Your Bags and Travel the World in Search of True Beauty? If you wanted to document authentic beauty, would you capture fashion models on runways, nature's finest mountaintops, a mother's arms, or intriguing corners of the globe that most people ignore? 
She did it. She did it all in a nine-month adventure from Paris to Los Angeles, styling makeovers and photo shoots with fascinating women who shared powerful discoveries about passion, faith, and beauty. She found that many lies women mistakenly believe about their identity are often similar regardless of their background or nationality, and that each radiant truth also has a common theme. Her book is a personal ticket to adventure and a daring quest to discover your identity as a woman of God. So... She takes us on her travels, and we travel together. I'm referring to the book, Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. She tells the story of 12 women, and they are fascinating. It's so creatively and beautifully done. Uh, just hearing the stories um, is is an, an adventure, but finding the depth in those stories is also uh, wonderful. Well, Rebecca Friedlander has been a full in full time ministry for 17 years, ministering both locally and internationally using creative arts and music. As a worship leader, she has copyright copyrighted more than 300 songs and released 13 CDs. As a film producer and award winning photographer, her productions include Seeds TV, Girl Perfect, Pioneers, a Southeast Alaskan Odyssey and many, many others. Her newest production, Radical Makeovers, is a TV series about beauty, featuring makeovers and testimonies of 40 women around the world who have overcome image-related issues. She's the author of eight books. Rebecca lives in San Diego, California, but today she joins us by phone to talk about her beautiful book, Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. Rebecca Friedlander, thank you so much for joining us. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, this is such an unusual approach to the subject of beauty, and you have had access to women around the world that most of us will never have, and yet somehow there is a thread that runs through each of their stories that that feels and sounds very familiar that I think um, most women, if not all of us, will be able to relate to. Tell us a bit of the background, the television program that really sparked uh, this book. Yes. So I'm a freelance filmmaker, and I just had a passion to really go deep in some different issues. One of those um, that was on my heart was was inner beauty, but not just inner beauty. Beauty is a whole for women. Um, I was shooting a film called Girl Perfect, which was about a runway model and her testimony, and I was in Europe, and just walking the streets, asking people, what is your definition of the word beautiful? (laughs) Just doing some street interviews. It was amazing to me how many people said, we don't really know. Um, Hmm. And and then coming back to the States and saying, okay, what is your definition of beauty? I went to Los Angeles and and went to some of the the beautiful beaches and just asked people this question. And, And a lot of people said, oh, it's being comfortable in your own skin or having confidence. But then you ask them, do you think our culture today is doing a good job of defining beauty for women. And across the board, the answer was no. Hmm. And so it made me think, okay, here's something that our, we, need to, we can step into um, as believers and really provide some answers to a culture who knows there's something wrong with how we're defining beauty today, but they don't really know what that looks like. Yeah. Now, one tends to think that in our culture that is very superficial, that beauty is understood as uh, physical beauty, attributes that you either have or you don't have. You can enhance in certain ways, and we follow uh, people who seem to have it together. We try to follow their example. Is that kind of a definition or that understanding of beauty, you either have it or you don't, based on your physical attributes or, for that matter, your history, is that unique to the United States, or did you find that that was fairly common in other places as well? I think every culture 
has its own definition of beauty. Um, and I would say it's a twofold response to that. First of all, of course, so many people still pick up the magazines, you know, the beauty industry and the cosmetic industry and the fashion industry everywhere, um, especially in the Western world. But I also did some, some other questions as I was talking to women on the street, and I said, who is the most beautiful person you know? And across the board, the answer was my mother. Hmm. And so I think, again, there's this twofold thing going on right now in our culture where we're hungry for something deeper. We recognize that beauty is fleeting, but we're not quite sure what that looks like. We know what it feels like, and it's it's love. But but what does that look like in our world, and how how can we paint that in a deeper way? Now, in your quest to... Um, discover and to define, to find, if you will, beautiful. Um, what was your goal in singling out these 12 women that make up the book and helping us to understand, hear and understand their stories and then to reveal them not only as physically beautiful, but exposing the beauty within that makes them even more attractive? I really wanted to go for women who had a transformation experience had an internal makeover, if you will, mm-hmm. to where I could do a before and after story and take do a makeover with them, show pictures of their before and after makeover that tied in with their story, and have some radical black and white change. And so uh, some of these women, you know, they had grown up in Christian homes. Some of them had not. Um, but what happened is that when they really encountered Jesus, like really encountered him in a deep way, it not only helped them understand their identity, but it changed their definition of beauty. Now tell our listeners some of the places you went to find these stories, because I think that's fascinating in and of itself. (laughs) It is, yeah. It was just a fun adventure. I didn't have it all planned out. I didn't know it was going to take nine months. I just kind of said yes to God's tug in my heart to do this adventure. And so uh, Paris, France, Hawaii, um, Ireland, um, the United Kingdom, England, uh, just really, really went around um, to some to some place. Also, Israel and the Middle East interviewed some amazing women out there. And in total, there was 50 women that I interviewed, and then we chose 12 of them for this book. And you chose the 12 because each of them had a transformational story. Each one of them are just amazing women. I mean, we have yes. one one young woman from the Middle East, and her, her great-grandparents were in the Holocaust. And her, her grandmother <clears throat> was hidden as a child for five years in a basement and never saw a mirror. And so when she saw herself, she immediately thought, wait a minute, I'm not blonde-haired and blue-eyed? And so she had this incredible insecurity. And then fast forward three generations, her, her granddaughter is having all these struggles with securities and locks herself in the basement for a year as a teenager. And so we really see just some of these amazing stories and then how she broke, broke free from that. Her chapter is called Beautiful Warrior and how we can overcome some of the fears and insecurities um, that may be passed down to us. So I, every one of them just had this amazing story. And then there were truths that we can apply and embrace to our lives as well. Every chapter has questions that we can ask ourselves and put ourselves in this place of, wow, how can I make this personal? Um, what is the takeaway for me? One of the things I appreciate about the book is the images of the women whose stories are being told appear in the book. There's the first image 
um, that is uh, a fairly plain image. And some of them either holding a sign, there's something written on them. Uh, the one I'm looking at in um, uh, in beautiful uh, security, despised and rejected, is written on her yeah. forearms as her story is being told. The pictures as the story is told and you come to the conclusion change rather dramatically. Um, as you learned of their stories and learned of the dramatic uh, transformation that they experienced in discovering that they themselves possessed beauty. Um, You did, you know, hair and makeup and makeovers, but did you sense a transformation that even defied the superficial um, uh, improvement of their appearance? I did. And and what was beautiful is that just in connecting with these women, there were several specific times where I really got got to see them display the character that they were talking about, that they had stepped into. So, for instance, the chapter you're talking about, Beautiful Security, I was in Paris, France, interviewing this girl, and (laughs) as soon as I got to Paris, uh, we were chatting, and there was a break-in that happened where somebody actually smashed the door. It's a really funny story. (laughs) And, And broke into the house, and I got to watch this young woman step in and totally take leadership of the situation and connect with the police and just and just step in. And the story is she was bullied as a child. She was terrified of people. But right there on the spot, I get to watch her demonstrate courage and demonstrate taking leadership from being in that place of safety and peace with the Lord. We're talking about the book, Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. Rebecca Friedlander is my guest. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation and give you an opportunity to hear some of the stories that are featured in the book. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking about the book Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World, as my guest, Rebecca Friedlander, uh, did. Now, having asked the question to so many, what does beauty mean to you? Yes, I love that question because it really causes us to go a little bit deeper than just the surface. Obviously, Mm -hmm. our culture would say, it's the magazines, it's the outside beauty, or it's even confidence in yourself that causes you just to be comfortable in your own skin. But reality is that we're all we're all wilting, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> all um our our outside beauty and even our inner confidence is not always as, as best as it could be. But true beauty is to find out who your creator says you are and to tap into that place and then out of that love and out of that peace, you can really display beauty for the rest of the world. Now, it's a a difficult question because every one of the stories in your book, Finding Beautiful, is in and of itself a beautiful story. It's inspiring and it challenges us to rethink how we look at ourselves in light of what beauty is. Is there a favorite or uh, is there a story that is especially moving to you? I love all those stories. I yes. <laughs> every one of the women. They're all in my heart. If you've been on my show, you're on my heart or in my book. Um, there's, there's two that come to mind. One of them is Lauren. She lives in central California, way up in the mountains of a ski resort town. And her chapter is called Beautiful Adventure. And not only did we capture her story as how she was uh, a young woman who traveled around the world by herself, just being available to God. 
and has all these amazing stories. But then we also went on an adventure to find a hot spring in the middle of the mountains. And we had no path, but just the general direction of where we were going. And just this moment of having to trust God when you don't know where you are, but you know where you're supposed to be, was just this beautiful moment of, you know what, this is part of beauty, is going, God, I don't even know what this looks like sometimes, but I know you got this. And I know you have my final destination. So that was just a really, a really fun moment. Another one um, was Oriel, who is a young woman in the Middle East. And we went into the streets of Jerusalem and filmed her story and shot these photos that were just epic and, and talked about life as an immigrant and what it was like for her as a young child to move from the United States to the Middle East and how that transition really affected her, her identity for many years. Yeah, it's so interesting to um, to see the first picture that you take. And in the case of uh, Lauren that you mentioned a moment ago, she's pictured mm-hmm. holding a sign that says boxed in. And yet this is a woman who travels <laughs> travels the world and sometimes isn't entirely certain where she's going, which in and of itself is such a transformation from where she began. Mm-hmm. This woman who had such promise and yet felt boxed in. I think we limit ourselves just like we limit our definition of beauty. But God steps in, (laughs) and it really is sometimes just a matter of obedience to get us out of the box and help us step into that transition. And on the other side, we're carrying all of this this treasure, Um, and and it's a real encouragement for other people to step out as well. Mm. Now, did you identify with uh, some of the women who were featured in your book, Finding Beautiful? I did. There's one story in particular, uh, Catherine, who's a singer-songwriter, and she talks about growing up in a Christian home where um, they didn't really cultivate the idea of, of being beautiful or embracing that, and so she just kind of shelved the whole idea of looking physically beautiful and turned to creativity to express herself. Um, but it kind of became this guise for, well, I could never really achieve, so I won't even try. And I think that was, in some ways, the way that I grew up when it came to beauty. I was in a very conservative home, so we really didn't even talk about physical beauty in any kind of healthy way. And it wasn't until later in my relationship with the Lord where I was like, you know what, it is okay to explore our our beauty as women because that's part of how God made us. That's part of being human. But then how do we do that in a way that really honors Him Mm -hmm. and we can have fun with it? So I think... That was kind of a journey that sort of reflected um, my walk as well, of going, wow, what is beauty, and how do we embrace this in a, in a way that pleases the Lord? Mm. Now, you uh, make the point that our faith can suffer when women in particular don't recognize and cherish our own beauty and that of others. Explain how that is the case and why it's important for us um, to recognize ours and others' beauty. Well, if you think of the creator of the universe, he made peacocks, mm-hmm. <laughs> he made butterflies, he made all of these beautiful things. So for us to somehow go, oh, he's not interested in beauty, wow, that limits his his artistic skill in our lives, doesn't it? And so yes. I think it's just a matter of just coming to him and saying, God, redefine this place. And for some people, what's beautiful is different than, than other people, you know, like, Humor is incredibly beautiful, a good sense of humor, kindness, 
um, gentleness. You know, there's a whole lot of things that are listed in the Word of God, but that we can just kind of push aside to go, well, you know, maybe I don't fit that stereotype of, quote, biblical beauty. But then to go, well, God, what, is, what did you see when you put beauty in my heart? How, how do you want me to embrace that? Mm-hmm. And how do we find that out? You know, it struck me, um, I have the book in front of me, I've seen the pictures, that even if you hadn't included them, you're a freelance filmmaker, you're a beautiful photographer, and these images are incredible in and of themselves, but if you hadn't included the physical pictures, and by the way, I'm glad you did, I think the beauty in each one of these women would still have been made um, evident because of their stories, how they're told, and what they... Um, what they experienced at the end of the story as they matured in their understanding of uh, beauty and recognized it in themselves through sometimes very difficult circumstances. Absolutely. And we didn't want to skirt the idea of, of brokenness and how God brings beauty for ashes because he is so not limited. <laughs> you know, all we have to do is, is give him our best. And he goes, oh, let me see that. We have one young woman who um, had told her story of growing up in a very dysfunctional religious family uh, that caused her to turn away from the Lord and uh, make some choices um, in regards to her own life. And she ended up aborting her child at the age of 16 and how that just devastated her for years until she walked through healing. God just brought her this amazing place of healing and redemption. And even since the book has been published, just in the last couple of months, she has been married to a man who has four children. Mm. And it's just so exciting. So it's this continuing story of redemption. It's all about him and about how he puts beauty in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Now, the women in your book struggle with similar feelings of inadequacy and self-doubt and shame. Uh, it, it isn't just um, the absence, the lack of beauty that we perceive in ourselves. These are universal struggles for many women. How does Scripture equip us to banish these feelings that so often prevent us from moving into uh, our, our full uh, purpose that God has for us? Yeah, two things. I think Scripture gives us a mindset of belonging to a Father who loves us already. So we don't have to try to achieve or to rack up a number, a number, enough points if you will, in order to earn the love that we crave and that sense of belonging, because we can find that now. The other thing I think that Scripture does is it brings us tools that equip us that when we hear those lies coming against us, we can say, no, 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 this is what my Father says. And just like Jesus, when he was being tempted by the enemy, we can use the Word to fight back. And so I don't think Scripture just immediately solves all our problems. I think we have to use it. Mm-hmm. And it's those two things, developing that mindset and also picking up those tools, just like Jesus said. Yeah. How do you see your work as a filmmaker give you uh, unique insight into um, beauty and particularly beauty in women? I think oh, I'm a storyteller at heart. And so when you're capturing somebody's story on film, first of all, it's all live action. So you don't miss anything. You can watch how a woman is communicating. Um, I've gotten cheered up behind the camera, you know, just uh, just hearing their stories or just start like smiling and laughing, just moved by the emotion. And I think that that shows up um, within a film, which is part of the, the beauty uh, of that process. You really can kind of capture things um, in, in a way that you can more than if you're just sitting there with a pen or 
or behind a computer. Yeah. Now, I love the book. You feature 12 stories. The television program that you produced uh, features many more. Is that still uh, available for people to find and watch? Absolutely. So Radical Makeovers can be found um, on television. Pure Flicks um, has just released the Radical Makeovers season two. Uh, so that's available as well. Pure Flicks. Is that uh, a subscription channel? It is. So Pure Flix is a, um, a video-on-demand channel, and it's faith-based, so a lot of amazing entertainment. And they are awesome. Pure yeah. Flix is just great. Yeah, you can make a selection and not regret it later because something popped up yes. that you did not expect. <laughs> well, um, Absolutely. Rebecca, thank you so much for this beautiful book. Um, and uh, for sharing the stories in it with us, let me ask you what you hope your readers, when they've uh, read the final chapter and they close the book, what do you hope they carry away in their heart? I would love for them to feel accepted, um, even with their flaws, to know that they're okay right where they are. And then also just to know they can run into the arms of their father and receive his truth, um, that it's a good truth. Yeah. And that, that they can tap into that place of beauty, that place of safety and confidence. They can only be found in Him. And then from that, we just start radiating. So that, that's, that's my hope, is just to be a tool that comes alongside their journey. We also have a lot of moms that are picking up the book and reading it with their daughters. And saying, you know what, this explains everything that I want you to know as you're growing up. And um, I love that as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Again, the book is titled Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. Rebecca Friedlander is the author, and her program, A Radical Makeover, can be seen on Fear Flicks. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. I thought it rather interesting that Oliver North and David Goch uh, wrote about the president's new world order. Now, this was about a week and a half or two weeks ago that the phrase was used. You might remember in the first Biden administration when George Herbert Walker Bush used the phrase the new world order, there was quite a hue and cry. What does he mean by that? Is this ushering in the Antichrist? People were quite on edge. Well, the president in 2022, has used the same phrase as well. And the pair, North and Goach, wrote about the subject, and I thought it rather interesting. They point out that on March the 21st, shortly before leaving for his NATO summit in Europe, President Joe Biden told the business roundtable about a new world order out there, and we've got to lead it, end quote. Well, unlike so many of Biden's other um, comments made before, during and after the summit, nobody raced to clean up or correct this one. White House, State Department, Pentagon officials and staffers tried to set the record straight about sending the 82nd Airborne into Ukraine, regime change in Russia and an in-kind response if Russia used chemical weapons against Ukraine and other Biden gaffes. This apparently was not one of them. No Washington or media elites tried to walk back Biden's New World Order comment. And they asked the question, why? Because globalists on the left have been pressing for a new world order since 1940. So this is not new. When um, prolific British writer H.G. Wells published his nonfiction work, The New World Order. Well, in it, Wells, author of the world, uh, War of the Worlds, rather, advocated a collectivist, scientifically planned global government to protect human rights. 
Today, the phrase New World Order is code for a planet with no national boundaries, where the Green New Deal is global policy and a utopian socialist one world government controls everything. Well, the world may indeed be moving toward a new world order, but it's not the one President Biden and his fellow leftists envision. Uh, Because of our president's um, weakness and, uh, well, weak leadership, his new world order is one in which the United States is the big loser and our adversaries become the big winners. Now, they point out that by allowing himself to be controlled, manipulated and scripted by the far left, The president's new world order is one where the U.S. suffers spiraling inflation, undependable, unaffordable energy, second class status on the world stage, out of control crime, increasing racial discord, food shortages, supply chain tie ups and millions of immigrants illegally flooding the country. Now, the Biden's new world order in that uh, order, the federal government will dictate whether Americans must Uh, Forswear fossil fuels while our elites fly around in private jets without wearing masks because what they do actually matters. Uh, The Bidenistas apparently believe will allow the left to pack the Supreme Court, federalize voting laws, eliminate the Electoral College and, lest we forget, replace traditional energy sources with wind, solar and battery power. Now, the day may come when that's possible, but that day is far off and it's not now. Do they really believe that eco loons can control how hard the wind blows and how long the sun shines? Again, quoting from Oliver North and David Goch. Well, they go on in the Biden New World Order. The People's Republic of China will remain ascendant in economic and military power through its global Belt and Road Initiative. The PRC will soon uh, attain control over the world's most precious mineral resources and seize control over Taiwan's invaluable scientific microchip production. Despite the genocide being perpetrated by Russia in Ukraine, Moscow still intends to use its fossil fuels to control Europe, facilitating a nuclear armed Iran and threatening Israel, our Europe, uh, or rather Euro allies and our homeland while preventing Ukraine from winning against Vladimir Putin. The president's vision of a new world order should not be America's future. We can still turn our country around before it goes over the cliff behind our bumbling um Well, I won't go on with all the uh, words they use to describe the president. Well, preventing Biden's administration's dream of all of a new world order from coming to fruition is still possible, but it will require a regime change in Washington. Hence the midterms, whether or not that translates into a shift, a major shift remains to be seen. Conservative patriots must retake the House and uh, Senate, they write, in November of 2022 and the White House in 24. But gaining power and exercising it decisively in America's best interest are two very different propositions. Control of the House and the White House must be exercised by strong-willed, determined patriots with the courage of Ukraine's freedom fighters, men and women who will stand up to biased media frauds, who are lapdogs of uh, one end of the spectrum, the continuum, big tech ideologues and embedded bureaucrats. Can we do it? Stay tuned. Well, it's a very big question they pose what the new world order uh, will or will not be, who will usher it in, who will maintain it and all the other questions associated with this um, uh, with this whole thing. Again, Oliver North and David Goch writing uh, on the Patriot or in the Patriot Post on this uh, so-called new world order. Meanwhile, um, and another, I thought I had something else here, but I'll just go with this, I think. Let me just check real quick. 
Uh, Meanwhile, the Biden administration intends to extend a pause on student loan repayments through the end of August. Multiple outlets are reporting this would be the fourth time Uh, the extension could be announced formally tomorrow. A person familiar with the matter told The Wall Street Journal the new moratorium on payments would last until the 31st of August, according to the Associated Press or perhaps beyond, with a fifth extension. The administration had previously extended the moratorium three times, and the current iteration was set to expire on May the 1st. The Trump administration extended the moratorium twice after enacting it on March 13th of 2020 when the pandemic began. Well, congressional Democrats have called on Biden to cancel student debt altogether through executive action, a route that would likely be challenged as unconstitutional. Who pays the debt is the big question. Says uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in a Twitter feed, a a post, in reaction to the news of the extension. I think some folks read these extensions as savvy politics, but I, I don't think those folks understand the panic and disorder it causes people to get so close to these deadlines just to extend the uncertainty. Um, I've had so many people asking me, my payments are certain amount of money, thousands a month. Uh, What to do is uh, what's going to happen in May. I need to make sure I delay medical procedures or prescriptions, sell my car, whatever. Well, Biden called the Congress to pass legislation canceling at least 10,000 in student uh, debt per borrower during the 2020 presidential campaign. However, the president hasn't attempted to broadly cancel student debt via executive action. Now, the midterms may bring out all kinds of initiatives that the president hadn't intended. The president is going to look at what we should do on student debt before the pause expires or he'll extend the pause. The White House chief of staff, Ron Klain, said on the Pod Save America podcast last month. Joe Biden right now is the only president in history where no one's paid on their student loans for the entirety of his presidency. And um, I'm not sure how long this new extension will last. Uh, it had, uh, Well, it says here until August the 31st. And we'll see what happens then. Of course, the midterm elections will be even closer. My guess is under pressure, he'll extend it again or perhaps cancel it all together. But again, time will tell. Well, we're just about out of time. Tomorrow on the program, I'm looking forward to a conversation with Sarah Barrett. She is the author of Stand Up, Stand Strong, A Call to Bold Faith in a Confused Culture. She is a millennial writing to millennials and look forward to a conversation with her. And on Thursday, we'll talk with Mark Schultz. He is going to do a Stand Up Girl fundraiser concert for the organization. That's coming up, I believe, in May. We'll give you all the important details. That's coming up on Thursday, and I'm looking forward to catching up with him and to giving you all the important details and how to attend and participate in this effort to support Stand Up Girl, which is a great pro-life organization doing significant work. In fact, it may be the most effective pro-life organization in the world. And we've talked about it before. We'll we'll talk a little bit about it again on Thursday. Anyway, that fundraiser is coming up. Mark Scholes, who'll be presenting the music, will join us to talk about it on Thursday. Thursday. So that's uh, that's on the calendar. I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program, Sam Moppin for um, engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.